Hello and welcome to another edition of Caged In Conversations, where I speak to somebody who has some kind of link to Nicolas Cage in some way, whether it's they've created something weird and wonderful or have worked with Cage in the past in some capacity. On this episode, I speak to someone who is very much the former. I speak to UCB alum, sketch comedy, stand-up comedy writer and performer, Kevin Froelich, about uh, a crazy idea he had, which I I think borders on genius, almost. Uh, That is Vampire's Kiss, the musical. So during lockdown 2020, he decided to write a musical based on Vampire's Kiss. So in this conversation, we go through everything Vampire's Kiss related, if you're you're a big fan of that film. Even if you're not, listen to this one because it's it's super fun and um, I've tacked on a song at the end from the musical. Uh, And I suggest right up front that you go on to uh, Kevin's Twitter page and you can download a Google document which has all of the songs and the script and do what I did what like kind of listen along and read the script as you go and you, you will be begging like I am for this to get a uh, a stage adaptation there's a slight technical hitch in this episode with some of the audio for some reason the zoom audio didn't turn out the best but don't don't let that dissuade you in any way it's still a fantastic conversation and I promise you after a couple of minutes it will it will kind of settle down in your mind and you will you will just get lost in this conversation about this weird and wonderful film there's even a moment where i just dipped out of the conversation and i think i've like patched it together so if if they've kind of like it feels like two sentences slammed together that's what that is so uh, yeah sit back enjoy and prepare as we rage with cage Whoa, 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 whoa. One last thing before I let you go. You have until the 12th of February to pre-order your Not The Bees caged in t-shirt. The amazing design by Tim Sinclair, which sees Nicolas Cage in the Lord Summersile position as the wicker man burns behind him. But that's not all. This t-shirt, you can pull it up over your head, revealing the Nicolas Cage bees in the cage face. So you can ruin every photo in your family's history. Or if you want to look the bell of the ball when you're heading down to that human sacrifice, because we know that this has been a tough year. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need to burn someone in a wicker man to make it all better. Who knows? But yeah, head on over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com to order your t-shirt now. Before before, before I close it, I want to make this like super limited. This is for the, this is for the real caged in fans for the real cage heads so head on over and buy one hello guys and welcome to another episode of caged in this one is a bit different to how things normally run on this podcast because i found a man crazy enough to have adapted the cult classic cage film vampire's kiss into what could be a future a broadway smash as you will uh today on the podcast i have kevin frolix how are you 
Kevin? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. Um, so for anyone who doesn't, obviously, yeah, the listeners out there who might not know who you are, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And if anybody out there does know me, I'd be shocked. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I live in New York City, I'm a, which is where Vampire's Kiss takes place. So it's really, it really is a uh, one of those one of those movies that I think captures the essence of the city here. Um, but I'm a uh, stand-up and sketch comedian, uh, somewhat retired now because of COVID and a lot of live performance hasn't been happening. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's what I've been doing here. Uh, I've also, I mean, the, the sketch comedy stuff kind of led to some uh, theater work that I've done. I've This is the, the second musical I've ever written. Um, the first one was... Uh, a, a, a parody of Lewis and Clark uh, called Great Frontier. It was a, a satire parody of the Lewis and Clark story. Um, and yeah, I think just being in lockdown isolation right now uh, drove me to madness. I saw Vampire's Kiss for the first time with some friends over Zoom. We, One of my friends was like, oh, you guys need to see this. He's he's equally obsessed with Nicolas Cage just his his essence and he was like if you've never seen this you need to he told us nothing about it we just started watching it and like (laughs) i wish we'd record it because it's it's one of those movies that at least for me it really got into my soul and i couldn't stop thinking about it i went on youtube and i must have watched the alphabet monologue like 50 times the next day uh we started like you know over over phone calls we would just like try to do like dueling cage impressions of that (laughs) that scene um and yeah and then uh like earlier uh in the summer i've just like every now and then you kind of get these like manic creative impulses where it's like you know what i just want to write a a dumb musical and an awful trend in broadway is they'll just take a movie from the 90s or 80s and make it a musical and then people buy tickets to it because they're like oh i know I know that movie. I saw Mean Girls. I'll go see it on Broadway. Yeah, what I hear, Mean Girls was very good, but there's plenty that were not good. The, the um, thing they I, tend to do a lot of the time, though, is they make them like jukebox musicals, which I feel yeah, is like yeah. even more lazy. So it's like you've nicked, you've nicked like the plot of a film, and then you've just added like some hits of that time, whether it's like a Rock of Ages, where it's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. A loose story around the fact you just want to sing that we built this city on rock and roll or something. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah, that one's so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'd put a poll out on just like my social media. I was like, guys, I'm feeling crazy. Like if I wrote a, what's the one movie that you think would make a terrible musical from like the 80s or something? And uh, uh, Short Circuit almost won. And I was actually very excited to do a Short Circuit musical because that movie's crazy. And it's one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. And then one of my friends just like, <laughs> said vampires kiss and then like at the last minute like 150 people just like responded to the survey and and vampires kiss narrowly beat short circuit and then i got excited i watched the movie again really noticed some of the subtleties of the film uh, (laughs) and spent all of september just manically writing songs and scenes for this thing so this year was your first time watching vampires kiss this isn't something that yeah sat with you oh amazing i said yeah it's a, it's a very interesting film, and I think a very like much maligned film a lot of the time. Uh, it's obviously it's like the go-to memeable Nicolas Cage film, like all the kind of reactionary gifts that have come from it. And uh, there's a famous now famous YouTube clip called "Nicolas Cage Loses His Shit," and it's like sixty <laughs> percent vampires kiss because there's just so yeah. many like 
cherry-picked moments from it. But I always find it really interesting. Like, um, somebody who's been on the podcast, their letterbox review of it is Peter Lowe crawled so Patrick Bateman could walk. And like, I always look at it in this way that um, that's for anyone listening. That's Brad Hansen, by the way. So uh, give him uh, due credit. But uh, I always look at this as like a nice companion piece to American Psycho because it's like they're both a, a roughly about the same thing a, a, a new york yuppie losing his fucking mind but in yeah. in this case we've got what an early 20s nick cage kind of tearing up the acting textbook and doing whatever the <laughs> fuck he wants for sure yeah it's really funny that you mentioned uh american psycho yeah i, I also thought that i'm like all right this is a guy in a suit he's a, a literary agent who somehow has like the lavish lifestyle of a Wall Street stockbroker. So that part, okay, sure. <laughs> um, but I think there was like an interview with Christian Bale who said that he like really channeled Nicolas Cage in this in this movie, just like some of his, just for some of his more bizarre like characterizations in American Psycho. Um, but then coincidentally, like a, a, in my opinion, a very good Broadway adaptation of a musical um, and actually, it started in uh, England and West End, um, but the American Psycho musical is actually really good. <laughs> oh, what? No, um, I've, I've never seen it. That that like that would totally be right up my street as well. It, yeah, you can see the. Uh, I don't know if the West End. I forget who starred in it in the uh, West End production. It was um, someone who was also recently one of the Doctor Who's, but I can't, I'm blanking on what his name was. Um, but uh, yeah, it started over there. It was a big hit on on West End. It moved to Broadway, like a lot of those uh, shows do. Um, and uh, Benjamin Walker, who was in a show called um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, which was like a punk rock biography musical of Andrew Jackson being a crazy, <laughs> absolute crazy racist figure in American history. Um, but but he was in it. Uh, it was original songs by Duncan Sheik, who did Spring Awakening and also is like a pop star in his own in his own right. Um, uh, and then occasionally they would shoehorn in some like 80s classics, like In the Air Tonight was in there, Phil Collins, um, and a couple others. But uh, it only ran, it was a huge flop in the States. It, it only ran, I think, like 40 performances, which is oh, nothing. Like, uh, and, and it was, I mean, it was one of those, like, I got to see it. I saw it when it was in previews. Um, I, I I lucked out. Like tickets were very cheap to it because they were just like, please come see this. And <laughs> you know, it's not the it's not the kind of show that you know if you're visiting New York, you're not going to be like, honey, let's get the kids and see American Psycho. No, you're going to go see Lion King. You're going to go. You want to have a fun time. And this was like, it was dark. It's all about like the evils of of capitalism and just like this man's soul is being ripped out. And there's like blood and sex. It's it's not a f everybody who was going to see it and enjoy it saw it and enjoyed it. And then that was it. And then it, and then it ended up closing, but um, really fantastic. So, but it's very, they really captured, like did some cool s stuff on stage with like the surreal aspect of it. You never really know, like if he's, if it's in his head or if it's not, and they, which is hard to do. Like, you know, in a movie, you have the benefit of, you know, showing mm -hmm. scenes, from a different person's point of view or you know at the end of american psycho the guy comes in and says like oh no paul allen was fine i just had lunch with him and mm -hmm. you like you you kind of do that but they really like use the stage to like create these weird scenes like bodies just like fall out and then like the lights flicker and the bodies are gone they really did some incredible stage magic Amazing. so um so i returned the, the vampires kiss the movie inspired 
American Psycho the movie and then vice versa, American Psycho the musical inspired Vampire's Kiss the musical. So what's your reading of like the kind of story of Vampire's Kiss? Is it all in Peter Lowe's head or is it a, uh, or, or does most of, or does most of it or all of it actually happen? That's, I, I, I don't think it's all in his head. Um, the one thing that, and I, when I watched it a second time, I was like, oh, this is a man who's like, he's very lonely. And, and I think uh, a big theme in that movie is just like being isolated. Like he really, like he goes on these dates, but it, they're very shallow and he doesn't really have any friends. He's at the bar talking to, uh, uh, what's his name? John Michael Higgins from like all the Christopher Guest movies. I was like a weird cameo in there when they're drinking martinis and like, he has friends, but they're not really friends. They're like coworkers, maybe. These women he dates, they're very like shallow relationships. And even like the girl who does want to get close to him, he kind of pushes her away. And so he's just like isolating himself. And I think that is leading to him being, by the end of it, he's completely out of his mind. Like he's talking to himself on the street. Um, I think some of it is definitely real, but the parts that are, I think the parts that are real are when like, Alva's interacting with him. I think those are the only scenes where it's real, and that's like you can tell because she's legitimately terrified of him. And everywhere else, like Rachel's obsessed with him, and his therapist is. I, I don't think the therapist was real at all. Um, <laughs> the only time I thought, oh, maybe she was real, is when she's like, when he calls her on the phone, and she's just like hooking up with this like young, like <laughs> muscular, like you know, good-looking tan bronze god type of guy. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that, that was my reading of it is that like, he's having this mental breakdown. Maybe he's not even in therapy. Maybe the therapy scenes are actually in the future and he's retelling this, or maybe all of it was being told like while he's already crazy on the street, you know? Um, but when I, when I watched it the second time, the a thing I picked up on that I thought was really interesting is that like, he starts out, he's in this relationship. He's with, uh, I think, yeah, Jackie's her name. Um, when he kind of has this stable relationship, he pushes her away. And then every time he starts having like a little vampire attack, he he's in the presence of somebody like in a happy relationship, like the scene in the diner where he just freaks out and like mm -hmm. sees the cross and everything. The two girls in the diner are talking about like a really great date that one of them went on. And then he has like this freak out. And so um, something, something I noticed on the second viewing was like every time he, goes further and further into this vampire thing like somebody is happy in a relationship with somebody else like he calls his therapist and she's got a hot date and like he becomes that's when he's running around like eating pigeons and screaming i'm a vampire i'm a vampire so i think that's that's ultimately is just this this loneliness has pushed him into this psychotic depression uh yeah. and i don't think he likes being a literary agent <laughs> <laughs> well there's, yeah it's really it's really interesting because i know there's well there's an amazing ringer article about like kind of catching yeah. up with everyone ab 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 about this and uh i think it's joseph minion the writer kind of said it's he of who at the time was hot shit he'd just come off of writing after hours for martin scorsese and then it's um it's really interesting in that article you get this impression that uh a lot of the key players bar kind of nicholas cage like yeah it kind of like star writer and actor like of that that kind of triumphant nicholas cage was the only one who kind of went on to do like more great things whereas like joseph minion has kind of drifted into obscurity and the director robert beerman uh, uh just came back to england and did a lot of like british tv like so so like 
and I get, like it's yeah that is a massive step down from like kind of being on the burgeoning verge of Hollywood he was supposed to direct the fly and had to pull out for like personal reasons but then obviously did Vampire's Kiss and even the production of that like it was a film that was filmed in 87 and didn't get released until 89 and then like I think it was released the same weekend as Batman so like was oh, never <laughs> was never gonna have like a chance to to do anything and it's kind of like I don't know well garnered like as as we've seen it's garnered this kind of weird now that I've watched it a fair like a fair few times I think this is great like I, I, <laughs> I think there's something there's something I know that like uh Nicolas Cage himself in interviews has said like this is one of the films he's personally like most proud of because he kind of got to channel like german expressionism and like yeah, yeah. got to do all this kind of like well got to do that yeah unfortunately like there's never been a uk release but i know there's like a us blu-ray release that has a director's commentary and it's robert beerman and nick cage and i've like heard snippets and stuff like that i think like chunks of it were shared on how did this get made and um like yeah like cage uh like yeah cage says on that like just he wanted to see if he could get away with saying boo-hoo like when he's crying like can, yeah. can can you get away in a movie of like being upset and just actually doing like the the kind of what is it almost comedy like and like yeah, it, well, he doesn't even say it like that. I know, I know that it's like, yeah, when he when he tries to shoot himself and it's blanks and he thinks he's immortal for yeah. a minute. Uh, that's my reading of it, at least. But yeah, he doesn't even say boo-hoo. He says it like boo-hoo. And it's like yeah, yeah. every choice he made, he's like, I could do it weird or I could do it the craziest possible way. And mm-hmm. like I could walk from here to the mirror, or I could do this weird like Nosferatu pose and mm-hmm. yeah, what, try to glide to the mirror. <laughs> A lot of that stuff at the end as well, when he's gone fully like vampire as well, was mm-hmm. filmed gorilla. So those people on the street who he's like interacted with didn't know that he was that that that, 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 that like they they were filming a movie. That's why it's a lot of like kind of like uh, yeah, like long long uh, long shots and stuff like that, as opposed to like close ups. Like when people are backing away from him. They just think, and at that time in, yeah. uh, I think New York as well, there were a lot of crazies on the street. I don't, I don't know if the New York streets have kind of got a little less crazy in the. Well, I guess this year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, before I lived here, like I, I didn't grow up, grow up in the city. I lived up in uh, New England and in, in New Hampshire, so like I only knew New York from movies. And like I grew up in the '90s, so like all the movies I saw were from you know the '80s or '90s when New York had like a lot of crime. Times Square was a place you didn't want to go. Like that's where mm-hmm. like you know drugs and hookers and gangs were hanging out and everything. And it was really like you know in through the '90s where when Rudy Giuliani <laughs> was it was the mayor that he cleaned up the city. A lot of it was you know he basically like you know loaded homeless people on buses and shipped them to Jersey. Like there was a lot of like shitty things like that 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 he did so but but you know in in the 80s yeah there was there were crazy i think uh i i I told you before like i listened to the episode you did on vampire's kiss um where you mentioned like 
uh, I, I don't know if you still live there, but I think you mentioned like, oh, we live in Brighton and like you see crazy people on the street all the time. And that's yeah. New York. Like, you know, you're on the street, you're going to keep away from a crazy person, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't phase you here. There's, there's, you know, a guy, you know, wrapped in blankets playing a violin in the park and you're just like, yeah, all right, you're going to see that. And um, hey, yeah, I, 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 I had read that too, that they did a lot of wide shots to get like real audience, like real people's reaction to a man covered in blood with a basically like a wooden dagger begging you to like murder him on the street. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. my favorite one is he like runs up like a church, the church steps and like asks an old man to like kill him. And the old man just like retreats into the church. Um, <laughs> but I tried to, I kept a little bit of that in there. Cause I love that. Like the, the like gorilla, yeah, the gorilla style, like you said, of like bothering real people. And so like when, when he's asking like someone to murder him, I've like wrote it into the script that he's like, running into the audience and like asking people in the audience like stake him to death so yeah what is your like vi like uh, vision for like let's just like say budget is not the option like yeah like what would what would be your ideal staging for vampires kiss the musical would it be would it be proscenium arch would it be in the round would it be kind of more like immersive theater how, how would you see it going yeah, I I definitely tried to like as I was writing it, I I thought really hard about like like who knows when when live theater is even going to be an option to do. But you know, I'm trying to like write this thing. You want to adapt something for stage, and you want to think about like you know what's actually possible here. Like you know, I theaters do this all the time, but it's like I'm not going to have harness budget to like make Nicolas Cage fly around like a vampire bat or anything mm -hmm. like what's like a simple way we could do this. And there's, there's plenty of great like independent black box theaters here. And I love those types of places for this because you can kind of do things minimally. And the fact that it's a black box, you know, audiences are, are just like, all right, you make me, make me see whatever you want to make me see. And I've, I've always loved those types of spaces. So um, at least like the, the vision that I have for it is like, um, you know, like one side of the stage is where his desk is. Um, the other side of the stage is the psychiatrist's office. So there's like the couch and the chair over there. Um, and, you know, kind of the foreground when it becomes the 80s club scene is like, you know, lights and music are blasting and you can kind of have everybody move up there. One thing that I really, really wanted to, to have is I kind of like, for the most part, cut out uh, like transitions. There's only a couple times where it like truly like blacks out and like now we're in another scene. So really cutting down on like, okay, then we move out the bedroom scene and this is the bedroom like um like i really wanted moments of him just like uh like there's a part where he's just like in his underwear it's when like him and jackie are you know having sex and like the bat comes in and he mm -hmm. loses his mind and then like the lights just come up on the other side of the stage and dr glazer's sitting over there and he just like you know there's no transition he just walks over and has his therapy appointment and then as he walks back to work and starts yelling at alva he's like pulling his pants on putting his jacket back on so um, I really wanted to have just like, here's these like very kind of bare bone, like three sets. And then, and then when he's like destroying the the room, uh, like he basically just destroys the set and then uses the couch from the therapy session as the coffin, because that's like my favorite vampire thing he does is yeah. the, the and, and I feel like that's a thing people think about like, um, yeah. So that was kind of how I thought about it is like, it's all just kind of laid out this way. And if, you know, if, if the space had like, you know, a, 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 like a riser on one side where like uh you could have some action that's like not just to like establish this is a different location uh having like alva and her brother like that's their house over there where they kind of have these these short scenes um and and yeah and then and then my goal like for the music side of it was uh i really wanted it to be like almost as corny as like uh like alice cooper at his most glam rock or like 
Jeff Steinman and Meatloaf, just when it's just like so big and overly theatrical. Um, but but really just like a small like glam rock band in the in the, in the corner. I genuinely like so yeah. I was saying to you before we started recording that I I tried to get the full Vampires Kiss the Musical experience today. So I so I like had had, had the script up and then had like a playlist of all the tracks in the right order, and then like just just did like just went through it and did it and it was like genuinely by the end of it i was smiling from ear to ear and i was like <laughs> oh, that's I, would, great. I would love like just because they're so like you've managed to pull out those kind of things in it that are absolutely absurd like when i rewatched <laughs> it again the other night and it's like a prominent character in, in the musical is the little boy from upstairs <laughs> and it's like I, yeah, there is just that choice in that scene early on where, like, it's, it, it, it kind of hangs on him for a few, like, a, a few too many frames, like, yeah. like <laughs> to, to make him seem like he's important. But it, then, it, then it's like, no, it's, ju- it's just the fact, like, you need somebody to witness, like, I don't, you need somebody to witness this madness is going on. It just happens to be this almost like, damien-esque looking kid as well like he's, he's a terrifying kid his eyes are just like they're big and just like they see through you and yeah, yeah. i thought he deserved to be a bigger character so i i made him a character when i when i shared a uh the the final draft it's like a, it's a one act musical if you're listening to this and you're like i can't sit through two and a half hours of vampires <laughs> kiss the musical it's we're talking less than an hour here i i re- i respect all of you too much to put you through a full-length thing but um i had it, the first draft was like 60 65 pages and i had the little boy just showing up constantly and one of the notes i got from a friend of mine was like look we get it the little boy's your favorite character but <laughs> you can you can cut some of this down and then as i started cutting things out i just kind of put him in like where it made sense and then and then most importantly at the end i kind of have uh sharon the imaginary like woman that the impossibly imaginary psychiatrist sets him up with like they just form a family and it's he's like this tiny Tim character who says, God bless us, everyone. And like, <laughs> just, I, I just, I, but I, I wrote him this like little ragtimey song where he just sings about how he likes watching people hook up in the apartment building. And that's, he doesn't have parents. It seems he's just around and yeah, cause very I mean, bizarre. There, there is a scene in the film, isn't there? Where he kind of gets yanked away by his mum. Like she that's, knows yeah, what, his mother comes up and yeah. she knows what he's up to. Do you know what I mean? She knows that that's what, that's what he does all the time. The, the thing like, and like yeah, what one of the things I wanted to speak to you again, like budget is not an issue here. If if this were, if like somebody came like, here's a blank check, we're gonna put this yeah. on Broadway. Like, who would you like? Unfortunately, the the original cast have declined. Cage said he'll he'll pop up for a cameo, but like, who who would you want to cast for this production? Yeah, yeah, this is. This is really tough. Uh, I got to like the, so the part of like, of, of Peter Lowe, Nicholas Cage's character, it's got to be someone who can really just like be completely like out of their mind. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like, who would be someone I've seen recently who's just like certifiably <laughs> insane. Um, I, I really feel like you got to go like with those, experimental like the the off-broadway people i feel i feel like this is the kind of show that you want to you want to find some unknowns who really want to like prove themselves 
Um, I, I mean, I'm, I feel I'm like it'd be... like A-listers here. Like, A-listers, okay. So uh, That's what I'm saying. You, the budget is not an option. Like, I, I, I think I've got a... I think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you my, like... Yeah, who do, who do you have? Who, who I think could go there for Peter Lowe. It's Robert Pattinson. I think he's a guy okay. who would... Like, even in a filmic, like, adaptation of this today, I feel like he's, like, a, y- a younger actor who would go there. Or even if we were going younger, but, but then again, I don't think he looks like an adult yet. And I think he, he needs to really go fucking weird and crazy is Timothy Chalamet. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, he, ne- he needs that weird... He hasn't really, like, done a weird movie yet like he like you need you need that in your back pocket you need you need a vampire's kiss basically in in your right. back pocket <laughs> yeah no for sure i mean even like after seeing uh the movie wasn't great but but zach efron as ted bundy i think i think zach efron's got some crazy in him yeah. that he could definitely unleash in this and and he can at least sing somewhat you know he he was in uh um greatest showman so we know he he has some he's got some pipes he could definitely do that um i think for uh the the uh the jennifer beals character i feel like uh who i think she's so great in that movie and she's another one where it's like yeah i guess she never really i don't really know what she did after that yeah like she was you know flash dance was like her big moment flash in the and, pan. yeah yeah and, <laughs> yeah, yeah literally <laughs> flash in the pan. um and and yeah and like that that part in the movie, I think she does this really well, and I definitely tried to like keep that in the script. But like when she's Rachel the vampire, she is just this like temptress, very sexy, but also like terrifying monster. And then when you at the end, when she's just like, "Oh hey, how's it going?" Like she's just like a you know a twenty something party girl. She's just you know young and 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 hot and, and hanging out at clubs and just like being a normal you know twenty something year old. Uh, year old girl i feel i'm trying to think of like who would be like who who is somebody that that would pull that off really really well i don't know did you have an ideal casting for for Uh, for for the rachel again i think it might be from the same like when i thought of uh robert pattinson i thought zoe kravitz justin like she's she's got that mystique like she's got those kind of like mysterious eyes to her in that like she could probably she could definitely play the the kind of temptress part of it and then i don't know i haven't i i haven't seen the high fidelity like remake series so i don't i don't yeah, know yeah. She's got the like but i imagine to do that she's got the pep about her to just be like a fun loving 20 something at the same yeah. time but um i don't you could... or even like uh like zendaya who might be too young for the <laughs> for the part but but yeah, in a, in a few years she might age into it, and then Zach Efron might be too old. So maybe yeah. maybe someone who's a bit more close in age. But um, yeah, for uh, for the for the therapist, I definitely feel like somebody who's uh, uh, like maternal but also intense. I'm thinking if 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 we could get Kathy Bates to play Doctor Glazer, I feel oh. like that would be just just perfect casting. <laughs> I feel like she's got that. I mean, I mean, even just her in misery, she's got those. She can just like really like lock yeah. onto you. But but even in even in the office, she's like a dominating presence and definitely like takes no shit. But also, uh, yeah, she she could be like both very warm and also very terrifying. <laughs> uh, and then Alva's a, Alva's a tough one because um, Alva's you know it's it's she's she's so. 
I feel so like by the end of the every, every time I've I've seen that movie, which is only twice, I guess, but even like working on the script, I like kept like like Alva, like I feel bad for Alva the character because like bad stuff is about to happen to her. She gets like assaulted by her boss and narrowly escapes, and and it's like truly terrible. She's just like trying to work this job. Her mom's like trying to teach her like <laughs> how to have a strong work ethic and everything, and she like feels like a quitter and doesn't want to quit the job, but like it's a toxic work environment to say the least. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who would be who'd be perfect for for that. Also, she needs to be able to pull off a dress that looks like it's made out of tablecloths. I feel like that's <laughs> that's hard to do. Like um, uh, Alva uh, uh, Maria uh, Conchita Alonso is her name, who is also like a South American like superstar. I don't know if you look too much into that actress's backstory, but she's like a huge pop star. <laughs> yeah, but have, have like she's taken a weird turn in the yes. last. In, in, in the, uh, recently, she is a vehement Trump supporter, and like, uh, like, because as part of this bo- as part of this podcast, I follow like anyone who's ever been in a Nick Cage film on Twitter. So, like, <laughs> and then, and then, all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's this? And then it's like, yeah, Ma- Maria Conchita um, Alonso just sharing loads of like, sign this petition, like, get a recount and stuff like that, and I'm like. Oh jeez, oh, and and then and then I was like thinking like thinking back to Vampire's Kiss. I'm like, Peter Lowe does give her a hard time, but I don't know. Maybe Alva is the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's. I mean, I looked into it a little bit because uh, when I when I first posted the, she must have like a Google alert for Vampire's Kiss because like she found it on Twitter and like retweeted. I was like, oh that's cool. Alva retweeted this and like she's if she's the closest thing to a hero in that movie but then like i went through some of her feed and like <laughs> i looked up and I, that's how i found out like oh she's like incredibly famous like a big pop star mm-hmm. but then i found like in 2016 she was big on like you know jill stein and like vote third party to like blow all this up and i was like oh that's not that's not great like that's a big reason why we've got like this dumbest version of fascism trying to slide in here right now and so i mean it makes sense the next step is yeah let's let's just not trust anything and sign these petitions and and everything so maybe even someone who's a little uh unhinged in real life who everybody can like enjoy watching her be the hero of the show but also secretly know that they're uh, a little out of their mind uh uh, or maybe maybe even someone who's who is like an, an America's sweetheart and, and uh, you know let, let's get Selena Gomez in there let's let's really get somebody who is a popular pop star who has okay. to then play against type and be a very meek uh, you know meek type of character and you know she was she was with Justin Bieber for so long you know maybe that oh, that's that, 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 that give some some tension on set as well yeah. bring the film some tension and that will yeah. be that will really bring people to the theater because they will be like. It's Selena Gomez and Zac Efron like back together, but they're apart. And it, no, sorry, you said Justin. Yeah, <laughs> Justin Bieber. Justin, yeah. Justin Bieber. Oh, bloody hell! Bloody. But even, oh, no, that that whole thing doesn't make any sense. Maybe Bieber could play low. Who knows? Who knows? Honestly, we're... I bet in real life he is a bit of a Peter Lowe. I feel like uh, he 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 was famous too early, and I feel like the same could be said for Nicolas Cage, and they're both a little unhinged from it. Yeah, but like. The whole Nicolas Cage, thing, I find, I find, well, obviously, obviously, I find it fascinating because I've, I've dedicated yeah. like all this time. Like, I, I, I spoke to someone the other day and realized I can't remember the last time 
I didn't go a day without typing the word Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, like th- this is what this is what my life has become. Or, or like especially like, yeah, when when I get in the flow of doing these podcasts quite recent like quite often, I'm like I haven't gone I've gone like I've said the word Nicola I've said the words Nicholas Cage like so much and it's like like and weirdly I can never just say Nick like I, I say it okay like very occasionally but even that feels a bit a bit weird like to just say Nick so I'm always like Nicholas Cage Nick Cage right. and it's like oh fucking hell like but yeah um who I'm trying to think who who would play the little boy that the little a... boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, all right. So it's it's really funny. So one of my uh, one of my friends who I did uh, sketch comedy stuff with at UCB before it it unfortunately shut down in New York because of the pandemic. But my friend uh, Ali Gordon, who has done uh, a lot of theater and is like a fantastic musical theater performer, she when she heard the little boy song when I posted it on social media, she was like, I demand that i be cast as this part one of her specialties in sketch comedy is putting on a little boy wig um it's really her niche i think i think she'd be great at it um also just open casting call for anybody any child who played gavroche in les mis i think i think that's that's what i was really channeling as a precocious young man i forget the actor's name but it's the uh, the kid who played Dustin in Stranger Things, and now he's definitely too old for it. But, yeah, Gaten uh, Mas- Maserato, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, though, I think it would also be very funny to have an older person in, like, short pants and, like, a little yes. kid, like, suit. Just like exactly what you mean. That yeah, and, like, their bio is, like, played Gavroche 20 years ago or something. That or the kid, Julian Hillard, who's in Color Out of Space, was in The Haunting of Hill House. The, the 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 young kid with the glasses i'm not sure if you yeah watched. yeah and like he's just got this career like he's like imdb's like so far and he's like very young is like better than like a lot of people's imdb's because it's like haunting of hill house color out of space the conjuring free and he's like quickly becoming like the scary kid in like in in horror stuff and like he does he does a perfect like haunted look and i think like from like kind of a-list casting he would be perfect in the way that like he he can do that like look straight through you stare that like kind of chills you to the bone with the kid in uh vampire's kiss yeah there was also there was a horror movie that came out a couple years ago that was uh it was actually pretty good. It was, uh, it was, I think it was called, it was either just prodigy or the prodigy, but it was like a serial killer who's like into some sort of weird voodoo, like gets killed and his like soul takes over a little boy. And I don't know, it was, it's, I don't know if this little boy, like if this was his first film or if he was in anything before, but uh, the kid from the prodigy, he also, maybe it's even the same kid from Hill House. Like, I don't know how many like terrifying children there are available for this type of stuff. Um, <laughs> But this this kid, like it's it's actually pretty good, mostly because this kid is so convincing as like a middle aged serial killer in little boy form, uh, and if if he could also like do a little soft shoe tap dance, I feel like that's that's exactly what that part needs. The the kid's name is Jackson Robert Scott, and I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and mm-hmm. yeah, he he's 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 got the he's got the look, he's got that like 
perfect mix of looking like quite sweet but at the same time absolutely terrifying like a porcelain like face i i hope this is the right yeah it, it's got to be the right kid 12 years yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. prodigy yeah yeah um, and then the most important character in the show that we need to talk about is, of course, uh, New York City, which uh, that's the, the cliche <laughs> of, you know, New York's a character in this story. And um, my friend uh, Patrick J. Riley, uh, follow him at Not Pat Riley. He pay, forces me to plug his own Twitter. But he uh, he's actually the one that I wrote the Lewis and Clark musical with. And he was one that I like. He's like an actual like theater, like not just a theater nerd, but like genuinely like a theater expert. Like it's, it's his obsession and has been his whole life. So um, he was like the person I consulted for like, you know, read the script, let me know what you think. And he gave me like legitimate, like good, like theater notes as if this was a serious project that like <laughs> we had funding for. Um, but we, uh, uh, he demanded that he play New York, which is why the first character that we meet in New York is a Mets fan, because I wanted to honor his fan of his uh, fandom of the, of the New York Mets. But uh, I feel like, uh, uh, I don't think he's from New York, but he definitely has the New York attitude. Uh, if Danny DeVito just put on a bunch of different hats and ran around playing, uh, you know, the, a New York Mets fan and a hot dog vendor and a cab driver, I feel like he is all of those different characters slammed together. Perfect, <laughs> um, yeah. I have no idea where Danny DeVito's from. I feel like, I feel like he's from the Philadelphia area, but I might just be thinking it because of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Danny DeVito, and especially like he could play those guys, especially like a lot of the the role, the the kind of yeah. like company roles in this, or like the 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 bit parts in this are very mm -hmm. much like menial jobs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the cab driver, yeah, the the hot dog. A very vendor. work, very working class type of attitude. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's, uh, and I think like DeVito's got the look for it as well. Mm -hmm. Like he's like, I don't know, quite schlub like a schlubby looking even though yeah and i think obviously playing frank for like what 13 14 years yeah pe <laughs> people have got this like look of him that like they think yeah like he would be he, yeah and he would be perfect so how how many people would you see in the the the, the company like cast all in all are you having yeah. any like um backup dancers or anything like that in this production so the way I have it planned out now, and I, I thought long and hard about this cause just because I was like trying to figure out like, uh, you know, even if I wanted to do like a reading of, of this, like how many people, how many friends do I have to beg to show up to do a reading of it even? Um, and I have it down to like nine people. And it's like Peter Lowe is just Peter Lowe the whole time. Uh, Peter Lowe is basically on stage the entire, mm -hmm. with the exception of the scene with uh, uh Alva and her brother, like the mechanics come out and they form a little doo-wop group and he like gives her a gun at the beginning of the show. Which is um, perfect. <laughs> uh, the song is called A Girl's Best Friend is a Gun. And uh, um, so, with, but like for the most part, Peter Lowe's on the stage the whole time. Dr. Glazer like really only exists like sitting on the side of it. But I have it down to like nine characters. New York, all those little bit parts are like one guy just wearing different hats the whole time. Um, Jackie and Sharon are the same person, just in a different wig. Um, uh, Rachel is, on, I, I think only, I only, she's only Rachel. She might like, I think I had some people, they just put on like, especially the, the women in the cast, like now you're a mechanic, you just put a fake mustache on and coveralls and that's it. But um, for some of the bigger numbers, like where there's like a full company, if, if money was no object, I would really love just like a full 
like even, almost like the Rockettes at Radio City, just like too many people out in like bat costumes with like, or like puppeteers with like fake bat costumes. Like if we had like 20 people coming out in these obscure like, or even like for like now we're in the club, just like a ton of people filling out this crowded club. Because mm-hmm. um, in the movie, he's like elbow to elbow with people trying to get to a dance yeah. floor. I'm like, that doesn't even look fun. That looks like way too many people. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um, genuinely, what is your what is your plan with this? Is it just a fun internet thing, or would you actually like to like put this on in some capacity, or what would you like to? to do with it obviously there's so many there's so many avenues like yeah 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 i mean i mean honestly it was just a uh i'm very bored and i miss writing funny things because all of that is kind of gone right now that's that's really what like drove me to work on it but then uh i i mean i had a lot of fun writing it and like writing writing songs for something so stupid is just so much fun for me um so i i i wanted to like i said i needed to be like a rock band type of thing so uh, I mean, I, I know plenty of musicians, so I would love to just put together like, you know, a four piece rock band that's playing the music for it. And I would love to do it as like a, a small scale thing. Like I said, like black box theater, once theaters are able to open safely and people are like, you know, vaccinated and herd immune, everything like that. And like people can safely be in a group like that. Like I would love to find a, a place, you know, one of those smaller theaters in New York. There's uh, the pit is a, is a great theater here. The, the pit loft in particular, it's uh on 29th street in, in New York. And, um, I've done a lot of things there and it's like, a, it's perfect. Cause it only seats about like, I think like somewhere like 50 to hundred, it's a relatively small space. It's easy to fill and feel good about selling out a crowd, even though it's like small, but it's also like, it's a big wide stage. So like you have a lot of room to play around with. It's easy to like, you know, get backstage and like use these like side doors that they have built in there. So a place like that, where it's just like kind of bare bones, black box theater, but it has some like good lighting and projection effects you can do like that's that's kind of the dream for it and through doing like you know sketch comedy and theater things and knowing a lot of people through uh upright citizens brigade and and you know other comedy things like that um and also just like this movie has such a cult following that i feel like there is a subset of weirdos that would definitely come out and see it so ideally i would get to you know work with some people that i've met through through that and like bring them in to to put this on and um and you know do it at least a small scale for like a weekend uh, of shows in, in New York and, and try to get a video of it and maybe send it out to some festivals. Um, there's also plenty of theaters out there that do like um, weird musical parody things. A lot of them exist like out in Los Angeles, which I don't have any theater connections out there. If you're living in, in England or Los Angeles and listening to this and you have a theater and you think, wow, I want to be the first one to produce Vampire's Kiss the Musical, <laughs> it is available. So let me know. <laughs> But I would love to do it for real. Like, I, I wrote it just as, like, a dumb thing. But, like, even every time I go back and, like, maybe edit a line or I'll think of a new joke and I'll, like, edit a couple lines in there, I, I just think about, like, how much fun it would be to have people do this for real. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I really did write it, even though it is ridiculous. Like, I wrote it, like, earnestly. Like, I actually cared about the characters in this. And uh, the first draft of it I wrote, the the big note I got was, like, this is a little too dark because I watched it and I was like this is a man like bearing his soul and being rejected by everybody he loves that he collapses. And then even at the end of the movie, um, which by the way, I, on the, an, another episode about vampires kiss you did, I was so glad that you pointed out that he's has this shitty California surfer accent, but he says he's from Philadelphia and grew up in New York. And it's like, 
it's you can't you can barely hear it because the music swells and you miss it and he's not mic'd up properly um but when i heard that i like had to rewind it to make sure i heard it right because uh, it was so crazy but uh you know even his imaginary perfect girlfriend like they start fighting as he's walking into his apartment and like when emilio comes and kills him at the end like he he's like fighting with this like even his imaginary girlfriend doesn't like him mm -hmm. um and so i really wrote all of that in and here's somebody who just wants to be loved by anybody and he's getting closer and closer and at the end it's like did he just commit suicide in front of us like what are we actually seeing and i was told that's way too dark but i still kept in like the <laughs> uh I, I basically made it a lot more like self-parody about how ridiculous it is that one this movie exists and two a musical exists of it um but like I, I think I think it would just be like so fun and, and hopefully it's fun even if you haven't seen the movie. I think it'll be enhanced if you've seen the movie, but um I feel I feel like it's a, a fun thing where you would at least, you know, get to you would at least feel like I've experienced something from this. Yeah, definitely. Obviously a big thing over here in the UK is the Edinburgh Festival, like the yeah. comedy festival. And it feels like something that would like even if it ran for that month at Yeah, Edinburgh, yeah would be something that you would see i think there's been like alien the music there's a, there's I, yeah i saw that one it was amazing yeah yeah so there's always there's always kind of like some kind of like film i think there was like a, a one-man musical version of army of the dead or something like that and it's like, <laughs> like oh yeah yeah so like it it, it feels perfect and it is genuinely fun and i think like you get a you get an amazing experience from just even doing what what I what I did with the kind of reading through and listening to the songs as and when they come, because especially if you have seen the film, like it, it adds it adds an element to it. But like you get lost in it, and it's it's got that right level of like uh, parody to it, and it's got I don't it, it it's a super fun project, and I totally get your point when you're talking about when when you write a song like because yeah I, I sometimes mess about like writing music and stuff like that as soon as i try and write anything earnest it's like <laughs> it's really fucking hard the moment i go you know what i'm gonna write like a joke song about about something the lyrics like especially like lyrics come just like that and i'm like yeah i'll do this like i, I i've written like stupid songs about i don't know I once said to an ex-girlfriend, like, yeah, as, as a flippant joke, I'll write a song about, like, how lovely your vagina is. And then, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, the lyrics, like... Yeah, that's like, so romantic. <laughs> but, like, it, it's it's the thing of, like, th that song was like a real bait and switch because it was, like, it just sounded like a... A, a lovely a lovely almost like the cheers theme you, uh, like yeah I, yeah the... I kind of had that in my mind of like almost like talking about a place you really like to go and then like <laughs> the kind of like denouement at the end is like oh actually i'm talking about a vagina <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely feel the same way and it's like it's like um uh like my my wife and i we we both love music and like one of our favorite things is like anytime we get to see live music it's always great but we have very different ears for music like she very much like we'll have songs on the car and it could be my favorite song and she'll like laugh or like react emotionally to a lyric and i'll realize i've never listened to the lyrics of this song like it's always been like the least important thing whereas like and I, it might just be that like you know i studied music theory and i was like a you know wind player for so long and play guitar and things now so like i'm focused on like 
how did like what is what was the composition here? And mm-hmm. that's what always like lit my ears up. And same thing, like I remember once in high school, I tried to like write a love song for a girl, and then like very quickly was like, well, this I'm not going to be love song guy. I better. I hope I can get funny. Maybe I'll be funny guy, and maybe that'll <laughs> work. But like my favorite, like. I mean, that's why I liked American Psycho, the musical. Was it, it also was like a great mix of like, it's parody of this type of thing, but also like, you know, when you try to like parody it, like there's a song in American Psycho, the musical where like he is like chainsawing people, but it's a very upbeat song and it's like somewhat parody, but it's also like, you know, the character is what adds any weight to it. So um, hopefully some of that comes through. Like I wrote a song for Alva where it is, like a joke like she's talking about how she's very plain and wears tablecloth dresses and um you know she's just taking a train from pelham bay and she's but like in writing it from her point of view it like actually becomes a little earnest because she's like talking about like how she has dreams and she puts up with this job because you know she she's a she loves books she wants to work in literature this is like a dream that she has and then it actually like adds some weight when she quits at the end because it's like oh she actually liked this industry Mm -hmm. and like he took that away from her but um, yeah, I, I totally get it. And that's that's actually why, like, my favorite, like, musicians are, like, Warren Zevon and Frank Zappa, who I love their music, but then their lyrics are also, even if they are, like, about something serious, they're usually, like, pretty stupid and silly. Like, even Warren Zevon's, like, he's got some great songs from when he was diagnosed with cancer that are, like, so sad and tragic, but, like, the lyrics are, like, my shit's fucked up and like, yeah, things yeah. like that. Oh, and. Cool. And they're so funny, even though they're super tragic. And like Frank Zappa's talking about like censorship and like governments and all these things, but he's doing it in like the silliest possible way. And and I've always I've always really loved like that type of lyric writing. And it's a good thing that type of thing exists because I can't do sincere lyrics. It yes. always kind of seems kind of, you know, stupid and <laughs> unearnest. Even the more earnest you try to be. Yeah, it's one of my favorite artists of all time is Randy Newman, and it's like yeah, that yeah. same thing of like it's this these lovely compositions and stuff like that but like and even a song that has kind of like developed a new life by somebody else with you can keep your hat on and it's like Mm. when you hear it sung by randy newman it takes on a whole new life of its own because it's like a song about like this awkward like chubby guy like saying like like baby like take off your clothes and it's like it doesn't have the sexy appeal say like when tom jones covered it and it's like well that's a guy dripping with sex appeal or like like yeah randy it's, it's like his his whole discography is kind of like uh one of the songs that like really resonates with me is uh i think it's like memo to my son and it's mm. like um what, what one of the lyrics and it's like when you're old enough, I'll show you how smart I am. And it's this kind of like love letter to his son, but at the same time, it's kind of like being like, uh, you'll appreciate like how how funny and like, inf- yeah. like kind of like, yeah, great I am. But you, you're a bit too young at the moment and it's got this humor to it. And I've, I think that's what makes- He's I'm, so good at that. And that's what makes like genuinely, I'm not just blowing uh, like hot smoke up your ass, like <laughs> gen- genuinely like this, the, the songs in this. and yeah girl from pelham bay is a perfect example of that of like as i was like li- uh, listening to it i was like oh yeah this has got a like a bit of a, like, a bit of punch to it and like i would recommend to anyone who is listening to do exactly what i did by just downloading the songs downloading the pdf of the script and going through it and like i genuinely hope kevin that like I look on Twitter one day and you're like, you know what? <laughs> We're putting this on in a black box theater in New York. And I'll be like, I'm not going to see it, 
but I'm still pumped <laughs> because like, yeah, I can't get over to New York for, for, for love nor money at the moment, but still, yeah. like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be so happy to see that because it is, it's, it's something fun. And like you said, there's definitely an audience for it in that mm. there's, there, I don't, if people went for year, like a year to 18 months to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show every Friday at midnight, there's definitely enough like millennial kids, even for like the ironic factor of being like, oh, absolutely. There's, there's Vampire's Kiss, like Vampire's Kiss the musical, and it's like, let's go watch it. And I feel like, yeah, <laughs> like, but. I don't know. There's earnest fans out there as well. I know that uh, Robert Bierman himself has said that he teaches like at a university in England, and he gets younger students come up to him now and says like, and say to him like, "I actually love Vampire's Kiss," and it's like this. It's I don't know. It's this film that is. It seems to be finding its audience all these years later, and I. I genuinely hand on heart believe it is a film and I think it's something you mentioned like flippantly in the musical it's a film before it's time like because <laughs> because I like and I think um back to American Psycho's case in point of this that is a film that is made in like the early 2000s that looks at the 80s whereas and like kind of condemns it like the the excess of it whereas vampire's kiss is a film made in the 80s that looks at the excess of it and condemns it and it's like and and, and it obviously um adds to the thing of like i could probably say this as an outsider i'm not sure if you all agree but like america sometimes doesn't have like the the biggest sense of humor about itself especially if no. it's something that's happening at the time like mm. afterward like obviously there is there is a contingent who will like poke fun of it at the time but then for the kind of masses to get on board after the fact they will go like wasn't that like wasn't george bush really stupid like do you know yeah. what I mean? or like decades later you'll go like oh yeah the the vietnam war yeah boy that was that was bad wasn't it and it's like well more of you should have been saying that at the time <laughs> yeah yeah no honestly i feel like uh, edinburgh would be a, a dream and i it, it's it sounds i know that they have so many like weird shows like that but from what i've heard the uh, the UK would be my people if, when we want to make fun of American culture because, yeah, we, we take ourselves very seriously. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but we got a lot of people who who dare not criticize America at all because we're great and we're going to be great and we've always been great, but we're going to be great again at the same time, even though we've already been great. And, um, yeah, that's another reason why that I for a little while I was talking to a theater in, in London that wanted to do the Lewis and Clark one because they're like, oh, we love anything that's making fun of American history. And it's like, <laughs> great, because... Me too. <laughs> amazing. Well, Kevin, it's been so uh, amazing to talk to you about this. Amazing. Project. Yeah, it's been so fun. Thank you. I genuinely hope that someday we get to see some actors trading the boards, singing these songs, speaking the lines you've written. Um, yeah. Where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing? And obviously keeping a finger on the pulse of whether this production actually hits the stage. Yeah, so... 
Yeah, best best way to to follow me is on Twitter or Instagram. It's just my name, uh, Kevin K E V I N Frolix F R O L E I K S. So at Kevin Frolix, um, the link is uh, in my in the bio for both. It's just a, honestly, if you want to read the script and listen to the songs, it's in a Google Drive. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. You can download it. I don't care. Share it with your friends. Uh, if if you want to be in it, my email's on the uh, the <laughs> script. My my handles are on the script. So yeah, definitely check it out. Um, I also, if you're interested in hearing more songs that are have very not earnest lyrics and are just silly, um, if you go to kfcomedy.bandcamp.com, my uh, folk album Ten Songs Too Many is on there. It's a bunch of songs I wrote and recorded during uh, the early part of quarantine. Uh, and because we haven't really handled the pandemic that well uh the songs are still relevant today (laughs) perfect thank you so much again for coming on and talking about this with me yeah thanks a lot i'll talk to you later again a massive thank you to kevin frolix and just for him for coming up for the idea for this what will be a Broadway smash? What will be a West End staple? I am sure. And thank you guys for listening to this episode uh, and listening to every episode. It really does mean the world to me. All of the support means the world to me all, 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 all of the time. Uh, for those of you yeah, who haven't yet subscribed and rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you could do that, that would be fantastic. Five stars, of course. Uh, it really helps with getting the word out there. As I, my kind of mantra to myself is, this could be somebody's favourite podcast. And the next film I'm talking about could be somebody's favourite film. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can do that via email, which is cagedinpod at gmail dot com or you can hit me on the social medias which is instagram twitter and facebook all at caged in pod come on over have a chat i love chatting about films and stuff like that you can kind of get a glimpse of what's coming up you can get some of my hot takes on some of the the just general film news and lots of funny pictures that i kind of find of nicholas cage or the coppola family as we move ever closer to the start of coppola connections as for next week's full-time episode i will be joined by the amazing nick helm to talk about color out of space it's a nice rambly long one and uh yeah it's it's real fun i had a lot of fun chatting to nick and i hope you have a, a lot of fun listening to that one as as much as we did recording uh yeah it's, it's two hours plus so i will not be chatting as much as I did on this one uh, if you want to support the podcast financially as I mentioned in the intro you can buy a t-shirt you can buy a print all on cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com or you can sign up to patreon it's patreon.com forward slash cagedinpod in the coming months there's going to be tons more stuff over on patreon just because I don't know I would like to make a little bit of money out of this <laughs> in, in some weird way but I do need I do need like the support to keep the lights on over here on Caged in Towers. That's, and, and I don't know, it's just a chance to do more fun stuff without clogging up the main feed. It's for the kind of diehard Caged in and uh, Cage fans. Yeah, 
So uh, head on over there and uh, subscribe. Subscribe is how you do. Become a Patreon. Become a part of the game. Amazing. So as always, guys, I've been Petroplat Silvers. I've been caged in. You've been amazing. And to play us out is Kevin Frolix with his hit, future hit from Vampire's Kiss the Musical. And this is Back to Work. I really don't have time for this. I gotta get back to work, get back to the office. Peter. Time is money and money is power. And I can only step away from my desk for an hour. Peter, I can't help but notice. Whatever, Dr. Glazer, whatever you say. I'll see you same time next week. I'll see you next Tuesday. Cause I gotta get back to work. I gotta get back to work today. Are you finished? Yes. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drooptown Limery Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.